With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. If you've been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Thank you for joining us today. It's time for our NFL Draft Review. Last preview last week. Today we are reviewing it. Two guests, Chase Kitty. If you never listened to the High Motor Podcast, you should. I'm a big fan of it. He is a constant guest slash co-host. He's great when it comes to gambling on uh, in college sports, but he's also a good person to talk to when it comes to college sports in particular. We have a lot of fun conversations, mostly about the draft. We have uh, way too much conversation about the Dallas Cowboys, who are not my favorite team in the NFL. In fact, I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, but it's fun to follow them, isn't it? Uh, a lot of conversation about what, how much can you actually take away from draft picks? Do having a lot of draft picks mean shit at all? I, I, I don't necessarily think it does, but it's uh, that's kind of part of the conversation. I think it's a lot of fun. Chase is always a great guest. Uh, also, Keegan Renault of Sooners Wire joins us today to talk about uh, a lot about Jalen Hurts and a little bit about Neville Gallimore and uh, why former Oklahoma defensive coordinator Mike Stoops' wife was going at him on Twitter. If that doesn't get you to stick around for our conversation at the end, I don't know what will. Uh, the one thing I want to go over, because this is a long episode already, but I just... I have some rules in life that I've established over the years. One of them is always get a second opinion. Never go to one source for your information. People do this all the time. Once they hear one source that tells them what they want to hear, they stick with it. Don't. Be smarter than that. Please, please be smarter than that. Please don't just listen to the one place that tells you that you're right all the time. In in tie with that, 
part of my philosophy for this show, and I've said it on here before, is if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. I don't I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. If I'm the smartest guy in the room, that's not a, it's not a very smart room on any topic, anywhere, even marketing, which I do for a living. Okay, I want to be surrounded by smarter people in any any facet of my life because they're going to make me smarter. They're going to tell me things that I don't know, which is interesting to me. All those combined to say, there's some podcasts that came out and some information that came out following the first round of the draft that kept telling me the same fact. 8% of all recruits are four and five stars. 81% of the first round were four and five stars. And that tells you that stars matter when it comes to recruiting. Now, I believe that stars matter. I believe you win with stars. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, these schools that make the playoff on a year-in, year-out basis, they have the best recruiting classes in the country. So stars do matter. But two things. One, one example a trend does not make. First off, it was not 81% of the first round with four and five stars. It was around 63%. You say, that's not that big a difference. And, and in reality, it's a few we're talking three or four draft picks. But the point is, that's a really cool sounding stat that's not actually accurate. So, A, be careful where you get your source of information and don't always rely on the first source that comes from. And B, always ask questions. One example does not make a trend. Okay? Don't just assume something is accurate because it sounds good to you. All those things aside, great episode. Love my guest today. Two people I really enjoy having on the show. I enjoyed these conversations, and they were far more conversations than interviews because it's just fun to chat sometimes. I love the NFL draft. Shout-outs to everybody who got drafted. Shout-outs to every undrafted free agent who's getting to sign a contract. Shout-out to the Big 12. I know that the draft numbers weren't awesome. Uh, TCU with the most with five. Congrats to them. We do talk about TCU in here. Uh, you might like it. You might not. And with that said, let's get to it. Before we get to our guest today, I want to talk to you about something. Um, I am a podcaster, obviously. I have a lot of people who listen to the show that are fellow podcasters, many who come on this show. And I think we all know that it can be difficult to find advertisers for podcasts like ours. I don't mean this in a sad way. I don't mean this as a woe is me kind of thing, but not every podcast hits a thousand or five thousand downloads every episode. And that seems to be what most uh, most advertisers are looking for. Well, luckily, there is something that I would suggest all of you try if you have a podcast or looking at starting a podcast and are looking to try and make a little bit of money off the time and energy you invest into it. It's a site called Podcorn, P-O-D-C-O-R-N, Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters to great sponsorship opportunities. It's, it's one that I have myself set up on, my podcast set up on, and I'm, I'm very, very excited about. It's, it's, it's an easy way to find advertisers that not only you think will fit your audience and that your audience might care about, like you guys, yourselves, uh, but find ones that interest you. I want to bring on advertisers, if I'm going to do it, that I can believe in, that I think are worthwhile. And that's why I'm very excited to have Podcorn as a sponsor for this particular episode. So do yourself a favor. Uh, go to 
podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. And if you have a podcast or are thinking about getting one and get yourself signed up uh, in the episode notes, you have a link there that you can go click if you'd rather do that and get signed up. At least go check it out. Let me just say, um, as, as one podcaster to others, it's a great site. It really is. And if you're a small business or a company or that is looking to to join a podcast to advertise your product or your service on a podcast and aren't sure how to do it, go check out podcorn.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. I don't think you'll regret it. I am very happy uh, to not only have them as a sponsor, but to be a user of Podcorn. Uh, I would suggest you go and check it out for yourself. Very excited to have Chase Kitty back on the show uh, for the first time in a while. And, I, and and Chase, as I mentioned this before we started recording, it's weird. Like I feel like I I know you and talk to you more than I actually do, but just because I listen to you on Dowdy's High Motor podcast, so I don't know. I don't mean that to sound like stalkery. Like oh yeah, we're like best friends. I don't have like cutouts of your face or anything in my my office, but you know. It is, it's, it's the weirdness of podcasting and listening to podcasts on a regular basis. Yeah, that's the brilliance of, of having all these conversations that are then blasted out into the stratosphere, I guess, for the rest of time. Like, I don't know how many times in the last five years I've been talking about something with a friend of mine. And I'm like, oh, yeah, my other friend, Ryan Rosillo, said blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're not best friends with, like, ESPN's top <laughs> anchors and radio show people. Like, chill out. Stop people that... <laughs> Yeah, I just try to be like, yeah, I heard it on. Well, of course, I talked to that people, and they're like, who? Like, okay, never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's just go back to whatever small town nonsense I needed to talk about. Uh, so, very excited to have you here to do our, our draft recap. Now, I'm not going to do a lot of OU with you just because um, I've, I've got an OU guest on this show as well. So, I don't want to like double dip in OU. A, I don't have a ton of OU listeners, and B, I've already had complaints about the amount of times we talk about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, so we'll just avoid that for later. Uh, the, the one I want to start with, though, is TCU. And it, it's an interesting example to me. You, the, the Horned Frogs had the most players in the Big 12 drafted with five total. Um, meanwhile, it's a team that's gone 12 and 13 the last two seasons. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about Michigan and all their draft picks and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think Alan Kinney had a great... Great one about Florida and Michigan have actually had more players drafted combined over the last two years than Clemson and Oklahoma. But obviously you look at the success they've had as far as getting to the playoff and, and winning playoff games and national championships. So I'll get to TCU specific in a minute, but just like I, 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 I've kind of reached the point of like, I don't know how much to take away from the draft as far as just how how should we say that a school is successful because they have a lot of draft picks it's kind of the same as the recruiting class warrior stuff right i mean lots of people that love to brag about like oh we've we've had a top five recruiting class every year since 1979 like that's cool but you also haven't won 10 games in 15 years AM. <clears throat> yeah so it's <laughs> like why like I'm, I'm struggling to care past a certain point when you put out press releases and talk about all these draft picks, I mean, all that's great, great exposure for university, but it's just one dimension of success. And ultimately, you know, all of these conversations about college sports, I feel like they, they coalesce 
and, and circle around the programs that win the most and win championships, whether they're national championships or conference championships or whatever. Now, I think we probably talk too much about who wins championships. Like only one team can win a championship every year, but that's mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. a different conversation. Uh, it is, it's great to have people that are drafted. It's great to have people who sign as undrafted free agents. It's great to be able to point to recruits and say, hey, we put X amount of people in the NFL every year. But at the end of the day, it is just one aspect of this conversation. And I kind of don't care, you know, who puts the most people in the league past a certain point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the draft impacts recruiting. I think so much stuff impacts recruiting. And I, I think your point on recruiting is good. And I don't, I don't have a comment on the championships in a minute. But, like, if, if, if the draft mattered that much, then Utah would have top 10 classes every year. Because Utah seems to put, like, five or six guys in the draft and in the NFL on a regular basis, and they, they tend to succeed. So, like, I, I think the draft is important. Um, I think it's nice to see, you know, obviously – but there's also a correlation of like, if you already bring in top talent, they're going to get drafted a lot. Like, Hey, Alabama's great because they have all these draft picks. Alabama's great because they bring in a ton of four and five star recruits. And if you have most of them in theory, you should have a lot of, of draft picks. It doesn't necessarily equate success. I mean, A&M, I mean, we could joke, but like they recruit very, very well. Um, they, they didn't have it, uh, any draft picks. I don't think they had one this year. Maybe they had, no, it's not true. I think they had some of like the later rounds, but like, all of it, like you can, it's it's one piece of a puzzle to me, like of decide whether or not you have a good football program. Uh, recruiting is one element. NFL draft picks is one element. Um, wins is one element. All of it combined, it, it kind of goes together to decide if you are a legitimate top tier program or not. I, I just, like you, it's the, the thing of the moment. So it's the thing to talk about of the moment, but I just, I don't like putting too much into just, hey, you had a ton of draft picks. Um, that's nice. Uh, did you win with those talent? Also, how much does that say about you as a head coach if you get all these guys drafted on a regular basis and recruit well and can't win more than like nine games a season? Yeah, it's it's a great point by you. Uh, I mean that that nine win mark with with ten draft picks or, or you know twelve people in the league counting you know undrafted free agents. That that is a weird backwards compliment or, or like weird insult it is kind of an odd mix i mean there, there's two kind of groups that you have i guess right you have teams uh that do the most with not very much you know there, there are a lot of programs like when we talk about the big 12 uh i of course i might be biased here but coming from a west virginia background like that's that's sort of what west virginia does maybe like a texas tech too they get a lot of three-star recruits and then they squeeze the absolute most out of those players that they have. Then you have somebody like Texas that brings in tons and tons and tons of four and five star recruits, but they don't always like maximize the potential that's there when you look at stars and recruiting and whatever. And really you need to, you need both aspects of that to be a top tier successful college football program. You got to bring in the talent and you have to get the most out of it. Most programs, 98% of programs, can't do both of those things. That's why they're not winning national championships. So when you look at how all of this impacts the draft, it's what's your program development like, and then how many kids that are top-tier athletes did you bring in in the first place? They're going to have a great chance to get drafted because you can't really teach athleticism. Uh, And and the former element there about program development, I think is, is really where the conversation circles back to TCU. 
Yeah, so TCU, obviously five picks in this draft. And I'll, I will I will say this. Obviously, they had – last season, they had a lot of injury issues. Like, that. that's part, I think, in why they went 6-6, six and six, got to the bowl game, won their bowl game. Then they took a step back this year and go 5-7. and seven. Um, I think there were more expectations for them. Obviously, you had a, 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 for a, a quarterback who was – a first-year guy, young guy, made some mistakes, but you could you could see the raw stuff there. How much of this is, and, and I've talked to some TCU people. How much of this do you think is a concern for TCU that they are getting the, the continuing to actually recruit fairly well in the Big Twelve for by non-Oklahoma and Texas standards, one of the better recruiters in in the conference. Um, they are producing NFL talent on a regular basis, and we've seen some of that talent go and and, and be successful in the NFL. But it's become so like, oh, they've got a nice year, and then they, they seem to have a down. And then they have a nice year, and then now they've got back-to-back bad seasons. And you kind of go into next year, and maybe they have a nice season, but I don't I don't have a lot to hang on to say, oh, they're going to have another TCU-like bounce back. you got to have, have a losing season before you can go back and win 11 games and contend for the conference title again. Like, you, it's hard to keep that up, and, and I don't know how much I can really say I expect TCU to be really good next year, but... What is how does how does that make you feel about a, a, a program that's producing good talent and and recruiting at a decent level, but not necessarily finding the results on the field? Uh I, I think it's the most interesting conversation in the Big 12 right now. I think when you look at TCU and you look at West Virginia, they're eight years into moving into this conference now. So, you know, you've had a couple of full recruiting classes come all the way through. And I think when you look at TCU, you know, they're coming from that Mountain West background. They had just an incredible five, six, seven year run there with Boise State in the first, you know, through that, the end of that first decade of the 21st century. They're winning all these games. They're having all these 11 and 12 win seasons. And then you trade that in to come into the Big 12. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't have because there's so many benefits to being in a power conference versus being a big fish in a pond. But this is now sort of the path that they have to walk when you are a when you're in a power conference like this, but you're not one of the major power brokers. You're not Texas. You're not Oklahoma. How do you build a program and then sustain that program? And I think TCU's probably done a better job with it than West Virginia because I think Gary Patterson probably has a more stable coaching situation and a more geographically convenient one than what goes on uh, over in Morgantown. It's an interesting conversation. I I think TCU probably does well with draft picks relative to the rest of the big. Oh, because the NFL likes what they like. They, they like certain bodies. They like certain styles of play. And I, I think the writing is on the wall pretty clearly with what the big 12 does, uh, in respect to what the NFL is looking for. The, the Big 12 ha- has had the least amount of graphics this year of the five power conferences. They did last year in 2019. They did the year before that in 2018. In 2017, they actually had fewer than the American Athletic Conference in addition to the other four power five conferences. So the, the style of play in the Big 12, while we all love it, doesn't necessarily translate as frequently to the NFL and TCU, which I think is kind of a, a contrarian program with how they approach playing football, I, I think that's maybe one of the reasons they have such success, even though it doesn't always translate to the wins column uh, during the season. So uh, this is this is just a fun conversation, so I don't care if we don't talk about draft, but how does it 
how weird is it that the idea that they don't like Big 12 players as much, yet they are constantly coming into the Big 12 to steal offensive ideas? Um, Lincoln Riley is a big name for the NFL as a head coach all the time. Cliff Kingsbury, who couldn't win at Texas Tech and got fired as a head coach in the NFL. How it's so strange to me that like the idea that the NFL doesn't necessarily love Big 12 players because of the way they play, but they seem to also want to have their head coaches in, in the in the league and want to steal ideas from them offensively. Yeah, it, it is a really interesting conversation. And I think it's something that happens all over life, not just in football uh, and not just in sports. You, you have people who are innovative and dynamic and really push the boundaries of what something can be and then sort of a slightly more conservative version of that is really takes off and becomes successful. Look at uh, what the Houston Rockets are doing in, in the NBA. The Houston Rockets are having, you know, they're conducting an experiment of how just how radical can we be with this whole three-point approach? If three points is more valuable than two points, we have all these analytics. Is there even a cap on how many threes we can shoot? Now, that, that's like the farthest version of that argument. A slightly less aggressive version of that is maybe what Golden State does. Golden State wins a lot of titles. You know, look at what maybe Mike Leach has done. Mike Leach is this great, innovative, offensive football mind. Slightly less aggressive versions of what he has done have been more successful. That's not to say Mike Leach doesn't win a lot of games and he isn't successful in the places he's been but he doesn't necessarily live at the very top of that mountain. So that's kind of how I think about it is, you know, they like a lot of NFL people, GMs, coaches, they like these ideas. They want to play with them and be innovative in the same direction, but they don't necessarily want to go as far as maybe some of the big 12 guys do on a regular basis in this conference. I think that's valid. I also think like, let's be honest, the big 12 outside of Oklahoma and Texas the rest of the conference does not recruit as well as some of the other third to sixth place teams in conferences like the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten. And and we can, I don't want to get into it because I really, it, it always comes down back to athletic budgets. Like if you want a core, direct correlation that seems the most obvious, athletic department budgets higher end tend to equal better recruiting. It's why Illinois and North Carolina, and Mac Brown gives us a lot of credit, but it's why teams like South Carolina or Illinois can seem to out-recruit Big 12 teams that win a lot more than they do. Like money money talks, and I don't just mean like paying recruits. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not jumping into that pool of piranhas. Um, but as far as like, but it, so let's set all that aside. Um, I want to talk about some of the landing spots you like, but there's one guy in particular in this draft. Obviously, this is a very deep draft for wide receivers. That was one of the conversations coming in. I'm a fantasy guy. I'm very excited. Like, we're a 12-team league, uh, dynasty. Like, there's going to be a lot of wide receivers taken. I have the last pick because I won the league. I don't want to – that sounds really braggy. Um, anyways, uh, very deep wide receiver league. And yet, somehow, even with that, it shocked me that Denzel Mins of Baylor fell all the way down to the 59th pick, which is the, the 27th pick in the second round, which just doesn't sound bad. He's still a second round pick, but he's a guy that I thought, and saw a lot of mock drafts of Gage as a potential first round pick, but he fell behind some guys that I'm like, all right, sure, whatever, maybe. Um, what do you think about Mims? What do you think about his landing spot at the Jets, where I actually like the quarterback whose name completely escaped me. Sam Darnold. Thank you. 
Um, I like the idea of him there. I think he becomes an immediate weapon for Sam Darnold. Um, I don't hate the, the landing spot for him, but I'm curious, how do you feel about that landing spot and what do you think may have caused Denzel Mims to drop? Uh, it's funny you say that because you, you told me you wanted to get into a little bit about players that we think can make an impact immediately. And before I even knew how you felt about it, I had Mims at the top of my list, right? Awesome. So yeah. he absolutely could have been a first round pick if this was another draft, right? So mm-hmm. many teams, I, I think people understand how often teams draft on need more than anything else. Like, hey, look, we need a receivers. So we got to go take a receiver in the first round, even if we don't necessarily love where we're taking him. You know, we have pick 15. We think this is more of a back end of the first round player. It doesn't matter. We need a receiver. This is where we're picking. We got to go get a receiver. So that's, that's how it works, I think, a lot more than people realize. In another draft where receiver wasn't just stupid deep, with talent and depth in this class, mm-hmm. he absolutely goes in the first round to somebody that needs a wide receiver. Uh, he's, you know, he's got the nice frame. He's going to be an immediate impact player. And he goes to a team with competent quarterback play. Uh, as long mm-hmm. as Darnold stays healthy this, this season, assuming we <laughs> have a season. Uh, and the other thing is when you look at what's around him in the wide receiver room, there's not a lot there. Uh, so, he has the ability to come in as a rookie and maybe almost immediately be the number one receiving threat on that team. So, you know, you mentioned fantasy. I think he's a name to know in terms of fantasy impact because he might be somebody you want to, you want to grab in your draft. But I think just in terms of pure football, he's going to have an impact really fast on that team, probably more so than any of the other draft picks from the Jets. I have the 12th pick in my draft that I won because I won, even though I finished in sixth place. It is what it is. Uh, I just don't, don't. Luckily, none of the people I play with listen to this podcast because I have him earmarked for the 12th pick because it seems like a really good spot for him. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I love that he landed there. I really am a big fan of Sam Darnold. Um, it's not his fault that they can't protect him. Uh, they don't have a lot of weapons. Uh, Robbie Anderson's fine. Like, I think, I agree. I think it's a great landing spot. I was just, I was shocked to see him fall that far, but I do agree. Like the, the wealth of wide receiver talent in this draft was ridiculous. Like just insane. Uh, we can talk about the fact that <clears throat> uh, the, the Las Vegas, sorry, I don't remember where they were now. Las Vegas Raiders went ahead and took uh, <laughs> the fastest wide receiver available like the former owner is still alive or haunting the team, even though he wasn't the best one there. Anyways. The ghost of Al Davis making picks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was. It was. Okay. So as far as Big 12 players outside of of Denzel, um, landing spot, because landing from a, I believe this wholeheartedly. You can be a, a, the the top, top, top cream of the crop are going to succeed no matter where they go. Um, but there are a lot of good players who I think their careers are ruined by where they end up. Okay. That's why I hate that the Browns seem to take a whole lot of Oklahoma state players. It drives me up the wall. It's like, they just (laughs) hate for some reason, the the owner of the Cleveland Browns loathes Mike Gundy in Oklahoma state. So he takes all their players and some ups when they get to the NFL, I went to bleep that out. This is a family show. Um, so landing spot to me is a big deal. So I'm curious from some of the players from the Big 12 that were drafted, where do you see the best landing spots? Or the guys who ended up, obviously, uh, 
We talked about Mims. That's an awesome one. Who are a couple other guys you look at and go, he is is set up perfectly. This is a great place for him to be. Well, I think the obvious answer, and it's so obvious I'm not even going to spend that much time talking about it, is Jalen Rieger going to Philadelphia. I, I've never seen a team draft as many wide receivers as Philadelphia drafted. I think they took five, maybe six receivers in this draft. It was incredible. They didn't have any last year. I, they were on like I get third it. string pull-up walk I get it. They were a couple more injuries a week away from signing me and you to play on Sundays. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> bad. But it's still shocking to see that many wide receivers taken by one team. I understand why they did it. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. It was kind of shocking. Rieger's the mm-hmm. first one that goes there at uh, 21 overall in the first round. And I do think that he will get some looks, but I, I think he's a, he's more of a complimentary piece than, than a legit one. You know, he's a burner. He, he's going to touch the field. He has to be paired with somebody that's more of an X that's going to be more of a possession receiver uh, I, I know they have some other pieces that may or may not be healthy and we'll have to wait around and see what happens. Uh, I, I don't know how their other pieces are going to develop, but I do think he will be used and he'll be effective and it'll be right away. Uh, I think the more interesting uh, pick, if you, if you want to go sort of down ballot here, is uh, if you look at uh, DuVernay uh, out of Texas that was taken by Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore wasn't as bad as Philadelphia last year in terms of how banged up their receivers were uh, because the receivers weren't all that injured. But Baltimore was still dead last in the NFL, like more than 200 yards behind the next team in terms of wide receiver yardage. So a lot of that is just because of the greatness of Lamar Jackson and the, the what they were doing schematically. They were throwing a lot of their tight ends. So that stat can be a little bit misleading, but they do still need some wide receiver help. And I think what uh, DuVernay brings to that team is he can be an immediate impact player. He can be another guy that Lamar can, can dump the ball off to, uh, stretch the field, open things up, and then you know that, that really can open the field up for Lamar when he wants to run keepers uh, just because there's more weapons on the field that they have to worry about. Uh, when you watch the Ravens last year, as great as Lamar Jackson was, it was also, in a way, a really predictable offense. Now, you still couldn't stop him because Lamar Jackson's so athletic, but what they were doing wasn't all that crazy. It was, you know, over the middle to tight ends and one or two other players and, and run the ball and, hey, can you tackle Lamar Jackson? No, you can't. It, it, but creatively, it wasn't all that, all that crazy. So I do think that them adding a, a piece like DuVernay is – I think he, he could have a, an impact and getting a wide receiver like that in the third round at 92 overall. I mean, that's, that's not bad. Yeah. That's what you call a value pick. Uh, people, people throw the word value pick uh, around, I think too much. They're like, yeah, we got it. It was a real good value in the, in the, the end of the second round. And I'm like, unless he was supposed to be a top 10 pick, like the second round is still the second round, like calm down. Uh, but third round, I think that's good. I love the Mims uh, or I love the, um, the Rager comp Rager to me needs to be the juju to your Antonio Brown. Like that to me is yeah. Rager's honey cool. hole. Like if you have the guy who is just a stud and I, and I like, I think Goodwin can be that for them because they traded with the 49ers for Goodwin. Uh, and I think he can be the number one guy for them for a couple seasons before he just is too damn old. Um, but if, if he can be the guy and they can find another one eventually Rager is the juju 
Like that's a perfect, perfect, perfect spot for him. It's kind of like the same way. Like, like that to me is where CD's going to be at, in Dallas. No, we're going to talk about you. I don't care. Uh, where CD is going to be for Dallas it, 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 with um, with Amari Cooper there. Um, if he doesn't just surpass Amari Cooper, because like I really like Amari Cooper. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I was the CD Lamb fell all the way to Dallas at seventeen. It was just like I don't. Apparently, none of you watch college. Yeah football like at all that that Henry Ruggs goes one and I get Jerry Judy Jerry Judy is very talented but there's a difference between an Alabama receiving core that's got like five draft picks on it and CeeDee Lamb doing it all by himself and if you didn't watch the Big 12 game and he literally is just like just get me the ball deal with it um that guy mm, that (laughs) you shouldn't be able to get him at 17th pick that's just stupid um I will you, throw you, one. How much can I ask you really quick? What um yeah. how much like what do you think his stats are gonna look like next year in Dallas? Because that's not you know, it's not like the Philadelphia core where you know you're gonna come in and immediately have an impact. CD Lamb has the talent to be really good right out of the gate, but it's also there's so many offensive weapons on that team now. I wonder how he fits in and where he fits in and when he fits in in his, in his rookie year. I I saw someone be like, well, he's got to get used to the, the more physical defensive players in the NFL than they play in the Big 12. And I'm like, okay, okay thanks next. for the shot at the Big 12. <laughs> next. Um, like, that, those takes are always just the stupidest things in the world. I'm like, did you – like, Baylor has one of the best defenses in the Big 12. They had a really damn good defense. Like, I don't want to hear about it. And especially after what he did to Baylor. Uh, I think he's number two immediately just because of the relationship that, that, that Dak has with Amari Cooper already. I think that's a very solid relationship. I don't – Gallup is a great third or fourth option. I never bought him as a second option. Like CD to me is immediately number two. I as as an Oklahoma State guy, I really like Blake Jarwin. I really want him to actually have an opportunity to show that he can, he is a good tight end, and he's had oppor- when the opportunities present themselves, um, he does a good job. But I think CD is your number two option day one. I think. I I I think he can. the The difficulty will be is who do you play favorites with there between him and Cooper? Cooper just got paid, so Cooper's going to be the number one guy. But I think CD has a wide receiver one talent level. Um, my concern is I like Dak. I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan. Let me just say this. I like Dak. I don't think Dak is good enough to support two wide receiver ones. So I think it's going to hurt CD's production, especially in year one and probably down the line um, until – Either he ends up somewhere else or Amari Cooper does. Because I don't think Dak's good enough for two wide receiver ones, even though I think they have two wide receiver ones on their roster now. I think it's interesting, and I don't want to go off too terribly into a deep NF roster tangent here uh, and get too far away from the topic at hand. But I do think when you look at Dallas, it's interesting how in just a couple of years, they have quietly, so quietly, I think people don't even maybe really realize this yet. They've quietly transformed from the strength of the team is the offensive line. We are paying the offensive line now to a team that really has an average to maybe even below average offensive line. I think it's, it's in that sort of 14 to 22 range. When you look at their effect and and I wonder if they are going to have the protection to really support a young quarterback like Dak, who I think is, I mean, he's fine, but I think is overrated at times by some people in the media or whatever. Uh, and um, then I got to stop saying in the media, like I'm not in the media. I got to, I got to remember that. I don't think the media overrates him so much as 
Dallas media overrated. Like the problem with saying he's overrated is I think most people know what he is. The problem is he's 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 going to get paid more than he is, and it's frustrating. And it's Jerry Jones thing. I really do not want to go to Dallas, but it's whatever. Like he's going to get paid because he's a member of the Dallas Cowboys. No one in the NFL anywhere else would pay him what Dallas is going to end up paying him, which is the weird thing about it. Like, and part of it's Jerry, Jerry, no matter, Jerry loves to pretend like he can play hardball, but he always ends up caving and paying his boys. Um, it's not that I think most people at this point know, don't think he's better than he is. We all know what he is. And he's one of those guys where the stats don't always tell you the whole story about him. Like he's a good quarterback. And I think franchise quarterback is a fine term for him because franchise doesn't necessarily mean Patrick. Like we, it's it's the same thing with like championships being a mildly overrated and judging how good somebody is. Like Patrick Mahomes is a franchise quarterback, but so is Dak Prescott. Like he's going to win you games, but I don't, I, I, I also think he's a, he's a limited quarterback that, like I said, can't support two wide receiver ones. Whereas there are a handful of quarterbacks that could, he is not one of them. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think he's a good, quarterback I don't think he's a great quarterback and I wonder with them getting away from some of the trench play that really made them such a strong team a couple years ago I wonder if they are going to have the cap resources and the structures in place to really support all those offensive weapons that they have now because they've got you know obviously they have Ezekiel Elliott they pay him as good as he is they give him a contract that no running back in the NFL should ever get in 2020, right? It, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, and you're just taking Jerry more Jones, and man. more resources away. You know, you're probably going to have to pay Dak at some point. Even if he was a Dallas Cowboys quarterback, and I agree with your point that he's going to get paid, he's going to get paid more than anybody else. But even if he was on another team, quarterbacks get paid. Like, that's, that's how this works right now. So, you know, he's going to command some ungodly sum of money. And they're going to have to pay some receivers, and you, you know you got to play. You got to pay the guys on defense, and I don't know what's left for some trench pieces that you really need in place to make an offense like this go. So I, I'm interested to see how it all unfolds. I do think C.D. Lamb could be a foundational piece for however long this Dak Prescott era goes. Uh, of course, uh, there are some uh, in my neck of the woods over here in Virginia uh, that were paying attention to the Dallas Cowboys for a completely different reason uh, the the quarterback that they took there in the seventh round uh, there there are some people that went to my school james madison university that are thinking <laughs> well they're not gonna pay dak and obviously ben denucci's just gonna slide in there as the next quarterback <laughs> of the dallas cowboys so they got that uh they got that controversy brewing if uh, they're only paying attention to what people in one specific part of virginia are saying <laughs> There is no bias in sports at all. No, everyone is fair and balanced. Uh, Chase, that feels like a perfect spot to end on, and way more Dallas Cowboy talk than I thought I would have on a baseball pod. Uh, for first off, let me just say thanks for joining us. I always appreciate the time you donate, and and again, I swear I'm not like super creepy. Uh, for everybody who else who wants to like mildly stalk you for sports takes, where can they do so? Sure, uh, at Chase A Kitty on Twitter. Uh, I. Do lots of lots of content on there, gambling content, uh, whatever you mentioned. Uh, I often co-host the uh, High Motor Podcast with Andrew Dowdy, which is available anywhere that you might find fine podcasts. And then I also host uh, my own thing, which is called Master of None, and it just goes in every possible direction you can imagine. A uh, new episode coming out this week, 
about uh, the quarterbacks that were taken in this draft and also uh, some commentary on the founding fathers. So, you know, tune in for that. It, it, no connection to the Aziz Ansari show, right? No connection to the Aziz Ansari show. No. <laughs> Chase, it's a pleasure as always. Look forward to having you back on again and uh, tell Daddy who said hi. Will do. Obviously, we're going to recap the draft. We're going to recap the Oklahoma Sooners players. Very happy to have Keegan Renault back on the show. Yes, that rhyme is on purpose. But before we talk any draft picks, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, any of that stuff, hold up. Um, uh, before we start recording, <clears throat> you got into a Twitter fight with, uh, with Mike Stoops' wife? That is a thing that happened on Twitter.com, correct? Yes. That that's not a that's not enough of an answer. Like don't don't have asked this. Like I need I need as the kids say, I need beats. Oh. Um so it's getting late into the NFL draft, and I think from the Oklahoma State perspective, a lot of people were the same with AJ Green, and from the Oklahoma mm-hmm. perspective, uh, it was with Pornell Motley. And yeah, I think even as much as that, I, I think the shock even across the conference. Um with Parnell not getting drafted with the way he played, especially um, for almost the most part of 2019, but especially down the, down the stretch. Um, it was, it was shocking to see that he would get drafted. Just, you know, you watch him play and you, Denzel Mims is, is a, is a dude and Jamar Chase is a, is a dude. And, you know, next thing you know, the, the, the numbers, the obviously his vertical and his broad jump were not great at his pro day. Um, but the tape should, I, I felt like the tape should have outweighed that, uh, especially the production that he put up against the talent that he went up against. No, okay. I, I, I agree. Oh, God, I agree. All right, I'm I bearing the lead. I'm bearing yes. the lead. I'm bearing the lead. I sent a tweet out and I said that Mike Stoops should have to match what Parnell Motley's yearly contract is in his first contract in the NFL. Because you blame him for the fact that Motley uh, fell fell as far. Not the fact that, my belief, the same reason A.J. Green fell, is that both are good. Neither's tape is perfect, but the the combine mm, scores were enough to send them into the people decided not to take a chance drafting them. Absolutely. Also, I've had people talk and say the pandemic has changed the way that teams handle drafting in the later rounds and went ahead and reached on some guys that they would have not normally reached on because the undrafted free agency situation is going to be so weird this year. Man, so I I get we're trying to start getting into the draft talk, but you got to hear the finish of this. So Mike Mike Stoops' wife – said that I was fake news. Oh. <laughs> that favorite it was Carrie it that I that it was Carrie Cooks's fault, the old defensive backs coach that left to go to Texas Tech mm-hmm. or basically was given a hey, you're not gonna be back, so you can start looking around. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So they I so she blamed it on him and then Later on, she called me ignorant, and we talked in the direct messages a little bit. I'm not going to go into that, but let's just say 
the word fake news was used quite a bit. Uh, I love how that's become a go-to for when people have no better argument. But they think it's a, like, uh, I can't even use that word anymore. That word doesn't, it doesn't have the same meaning it did, which sucks. They, they call it a trump card. Let's, the double meaning there is intended of saying that it is a trump card statement to use the phrase fake news that will beat all other arguments, even though it's really just a way of saying I don't want to have to actually have an intelligent conversation because that would be above me. I've had a crazy last about week and a half on Twitter uh, in regards to the Jalen Hurt stuff, in regards to a couple other things. Man, this... This may be the craziest deal that I've somehow found myself into. So for those who don't know, and let's dive right in there. Uh, Keegan, who's been on our show and has said this before, if you haven't, isn't the biggest, I don't want to say that he's not the biggest Jalen Hurts fan, because that's not fair. Um, that's a lazy statement people make. You know, he's not the biggest fan, trying to dog somebody. You have been critical, though I believe fair, of Jalen Hurts' play while the quarterback was. Because people are going to point out, you know, he put that team on his back in a lot of situations when they were down and they had to come back and and he he led them to victory without pointing out the fact that he was oftentimes, in fact, the reason that they were in a bad spot in the first place. Say la vie. So Jalen Hurts taken in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, When you saw him go in the second round, I can't imagine you were shocked. It felt like that was a... The second round was feeling like something that would probably happen, especially with the success that OU quarterbacks have had in the NFL so far. Uh, I'll give a little bit of credit to Baker. Um, what was your takeaway, not just with the, the spot where he was picked, but the team that picked him? The round, like you said, the round wasn't surprising. The team that he went to blew me away. Now, it, hold, on, hold on, before we get into it, so did the, the team itself or the team and the round combined? Because I think those are two different. No, two just different the players. team himself. I okay. Obviously, the, all the momentum the last two weeks uh, was on Jalen, even potentially rising into the early second rounds. And I had him, you know, I thought if he went 30, he, if he could possibly go 34 to 44 with Indianapolis or New England. Uh, if not, then he was going to end up falling out of the draft because the Steelers needed a running back. Um, very importantly. So I figured he would go in the second round, um, and I I really fell into the he's going to go high in the second round, and that may have been more fodder than truth uh, later down the line. But then ultimately it's the Philadelphia Eagles that make a trade. Adam Schefter, I don't know if you – the chronological aspect of it is very funny to look back on already. Adam Schefter – the draft is going, you know, very smoothly. All the, you know, not breaking a ton of news, no this and that. And then Adam Schefter comes out and goes, well, we finally have the surprise of the night or the surprise of the draft. And I immediately knew. And then next thing you know, uh, God, what's his, uh, not Rappaport, or Albert Breer tweets mm-hmm. out that Philadelphia trades. And then Albert Breer tweets out that the Philadelphia is going to take Jalen Hurts. Just the chaos. I mean, you talk about – that was almost – it felt as if that, like, it was a first-round just absolute sh- Johnny Manziel, you know, pick. Like, it the, – the feeling of it, the weight of it. Um, obviously, we, we re, you know, saw the what the reaction was with mm-hmm. page views on Sooners Wire. 
Um, you know, so, but ultimately just the, the shock of it being Philadelphia, I, I don't see it. I don't understand it, especially with what the offense that the Philadelphia Eagles run. And it's not even that I don't think Jalen could be a wildcat quarterback there. I mean, look what Taysom Hill got today. I mean, if I'm honestly at this point with the way Taysom Hill got paid, if I'm Jalen Hurts, why would you not do that? Yeah. No, you know? I, I, I think, I think that's a good point. I, I, <clears throat> let me make a few points on Philadelphia. Um, a, Taysom Hill's role in, in New England. Uh, what Baltimore did with Lamar in year one when Flacco was still there. Um, I think teams are starting to see that that is something that is effective, that is hard to defend against, even if you know it exists. And then you look at Philadelphia's roster, and we can say, oh, this is, they don't, they, oh, Carson better watch himself. Carson is a, a quarterback who's been injured multiple times. And the guys behind him are Nate Sudfield and Kyle Laletta. And a guy from Indiana and a guy at Richmond. And I don't want to shoot them as like, uh, oh, they're from Richmond, Indiana. But these are these are two guys who you've never heard of. And not never heard of like Chase Daniel never heard of. Like are not going to start a game in the NFL never heard of. Like they're just they're just not. And so you look at Philadelphia and go, they need a backup quarterback. Why not draft one that it could provide you some real value in Jalen Hurts, knowing what he can do, knowing that you you need a backup who can play and start games because Carson Wentz is often injured. From the Philadelphia standpoint, I don't hate the pick. No, he doesn't fit their system perfectly as far as a starting quarterback but I don't necessarily hate the pick because I do think Philadelphia is an innovative offense that has proven that it will adjust to the quarterback that is starting for them. Hell, they won a Super Bowl with the backup. The The problem that is, and that I'm going to ask back to you is, it, do you trust it if Jalen Hurts has to be starting quarterback in the next two years, do you trust that he could lead the Eagles to the playoffs? How many games is he – are we talking – takes the job from Carson Wentz or just has to play as has to play because he's hurt. Yeah. Do I think that Jalen hurts if he had to play a full is a full season starting quarterback who leads a team to the playoffs next two years. I think if Dak Prescott can lead the Dallas Cowboys to the playoffs that don't I'm just kidding. Um, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. I think on a roster that has a lot of talent around him, I think if he has a similar situation to Oklahoma, a talent with a lot of a roster with a lot of talent um, and smart coaching staff, and that means uh, now in the NFL, it also means a roster with a, a decent defense. I think he could lead a team to a wild card spot. Do I think he's going to win a Super Bowl if he is to play the full season? No, I do not. He's not. I don't. Um, can he be a serviceable backup for a team that often needs a backup to play some games as a starter? Yes. Do I think he brings value to a team in that wildcat role if they can convince him to do it? Yes. Then why the second round? That's where the, you, you know, I that, mean, they, that it's they all drafted all the other things they wanted. Like put three friggin' wide receivers and they tried it for Marquise Goodwin. Like it's a decent defense on a team that needed some, that, that last year was literally like almost made the playoffs with, a bunch of friggin' like walk-on wide receivers, like you. I don't think the Eagles are bad. I think that's a good team. 
I think it's mm-hmm. already a good roster who is whose biggest weakness last year was the fact that their wide receivers were nobodies. And I mean like like you I don't care if they're starting for the Philadelphia Eagles, I wouldn't draft them to my dynasty team nobodies. Like you've never heard of the nobodies. Like they have worked to fill the holes on that roster. I think it's a good team. I think it's a good roster. And I think that again, they showed they can win in different ways because they're creative enough and can adjust offensively. They didn't bring him in to be the starter. Like people are like, oh, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. They brought in a guy that they could be a potential weapon with Carson starting and could perhaps be a guy that they can put in and adjust to as a starting quarterback if they have to for some games. That That's, that's my mindset. And I think that Jalen Hurts is talented enough to be a good backup for a long time in the NFL who can win some games if he has to. Do you remember what Jalen Hurts looked like his sophomore season? Yeah, and we could talk about the fact that people were trying to give Alabama credit for Jalen Hurts which going in the second round, which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire That's life. happening? Oh, I saw a few people on socials that were trying to be like, you know, Alabama had such and such and such and such drafts, and I'm like, the only reason... Like, Alabama did not get Jalen Hurts drafted in the second round. Oklahoma no. got Jalen Hurts drafted in the second round. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lincoln Riley did. I mean, yeah. the scheme that Lincoln put around him is a blueprint. It's not perfect. Uh, it's probably not going to work at the NFL level, but it's a blueprint. Yeah. And it showcased his running ability. And that's something I've talked about. And I think I even mentioned it on here. I don't think Jalen Hurts could be a franchise NFL quarterback I don't that I that you real I don't think people understand how good that ha- you have to be to be that to be that I mean I'm talking five to ten year NFL franchise quarterback how freaking good you have to be and you know with Jalen it's just I think you know, I think fancy guys like Dak Prescott who is a quote unquote, and I think franchise so I'm it's funny because this is all one episode had chase kitty on i talked about the idea of franchise quarterback like i think franchise quarterback the idea is you say 10 to 15 year franchise quarterback i think franchise quarterback is a guy that i'm willing to put my pro my team put in charge of my team for a while um like it it seems unfair because like there's patrick mahomes is patrick well but then there's like dak is dak a franchise quarterback i think i think he's a starting quarterback in the nfl do i think that jalen hurts is a starting quarterback in the NFL that will win a Super Bowl? No. Do I think he's a guy that could win some games? Yes. Is he Lamar Jackson? No. Did the Philadelphia Eagles get draft a guy that they think they want to see if he could be better than he is? Yes. Is he going to be a solid backup? Yeah. I just, I, I come back to it. I also think that we over, we, I think sometimes that fans still view draft picks the same way they did when the number one overall pick used to make more than a, 10-year veteran who was an eight-time pro bowler and i think the teams have adjusted their value on draft picks and a second round pick isn't as big of a deal as it used to be and i i'm not saying a second round pick isn't important it doesn't mean that you're not a good player i just like being drafting jalen hurts in the second round they're like oh Man, that means that they really value. I'm like, also, it could just mean that they just really need a backup quarterback, and they think he could be a good one for a while. And I don't hate him in that role in Philadelphia. No, no, I, you know, if that's his role, then I'm completely for it. Yeah, but it, you know, it's the idea of him, and I posed the question in two years. 
Because I think in year three, year four, year five, you're going to – if Jalen Hurts got some continuity, I think Lincoln Riley hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. I think if you got continuity in the NFL, you know, four to five – three, four, five years down the line, I I, I, I mean, I think I've made that clear, you know, it just in the – you know, I think down the line he's got a chance to do some things. Do I think he'll ever be that guy that takes a team to a Super Bowl? I don't. Do I think he could be – a piece of the puzzle to a bigger thing. Absolutely. You know, he's not, you know, there's, you know, the Deshaun Watson, the Dak Prescott, the, um, who, who, I mean, the, all the other comps before the comp or before the draft, uh, it's just, that's not who he is. And he, he's never going to be that guy. He's going to be Jalen hurts. And that's kind of, he has his own ceiling as a, as a quarterback, as a thrower. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I do think that what somebody can do with him in the running game, his natural skill that he has, especially making guys miss at the second level, um, his patience, his vision, um, it's going to give some offensive coordinator a lot of a, a lot of time on his hands to figure something out. I, you know, and I I think the Taysom Hill comp is is good, and people aren't going to like that. Um, New England brought in Teddy Bridgewater. To be their starter. They didn't ask Taysom Hill to be their starter. Like, but Taysom Hill's value as a weapon, if Jalen Hurts will allow himself to be Taysom Hill, I think he get a very, very long career in the NFL, and especially with the Philadelphia Eagles, because that that's been proven now. That is a that is a valuable weapon that someone would like to have on their roster. Is somebody like that? I've already talked some Lamb um, uh, with a previous guest, and I don't. I think it's a great landing spot. I think it's awesome. Um, I don't think Dak can support two wide receiver ones. I think he's a wide receiver one. I, w- I want to go down to another player that, that intrigued me, that the Dallas Cowboys also drafted. That's that's Gallup. I was a big fan of his at Oklahoma. I think he is a stud. And I think, you know, Dallas has got to figure out how to... The, the, the thing that people have shown at this point is... Trying and spend money everywhere else but quarterback. Well, Dallas is about to have to spend money on quarterback. Um, so how do you fix that? Well, you try and spend less money on a defense that's talented and get them young. I love that Dallas took Gallimore in the third round. I think that is a great landing spot for him. Uh, what do you think about about that one? You know, I think it's very interesting to me because I believe that I've heard this and read this right the defensive line coach from the Cowboys is supposed to be like the defensive oh. line guy. And, you know, that it has really helped a lot of guys, you know, take that next step in their careers. So, uh, which is very interesting because a lot of the knock on what Neville Gallimore was at Oklahoma was that he really just never took that leap. You know, we saw it in 2019, more consistently than ever in his career at Oklahoma. But it, there are still times later on in the season where it's just like, man, he just disappeared. Man, he disappeared. Um, and maybe I can go back. I, I need to go back and watch even more closely. I, but even then, I don't think he was taking on a lot of double teams until that Big 12 championship game and then the triple teams he was facing against LSU oh, was yeah. wild. So, uh, um, you know, I think, you know, this is a guy that his athleticism – uh, he does have some skill to his game. He's kind of got his own little, you know, twist on it, especially to add to his athleticism. Uh, I think, you know, this is a guy that 
his longevity in the NFL is going to be long. He didn't have a ton of injury problems at Oklahoma. And obviously everybody knows the kind of athlete he is in the weight room. Um, you know, all those things, you kind of combine it. I love, I, I love the fact that someone, you know, I thought he would go in the second round, but this, the, uh, you kind of started to see the slide on defensive tackles in this draft. Uh, I think you saw what Jordan Elliott filled in the third round. That was a guy people thought was going in the high second round. Um, the Ross Blacklock mm-hmm. kid from TCU, people thought was going in the first round. So it was just a trickle-down effect of that really hurt Neville and then the Cowboys getting him in the third round. Just unbelievable value. Um, and I think this I think it's a guy that I, I don't know and I'm not sure that he's, uh, you know, an, the impact player on your defensive line that you're looking to to go make plays every every single down. But I definitely think he could be a solid contributor for, for a, and is going to be a veteran doing the same thing 10 years from now. Okay. You're awesome. Uh, I know we've had some technical issues, but you are are one of my favorite people to have on. And then, despite that being the fact that you cover the Sooners, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so, do me a favor for people who want some uh, some hot fake news, um, some more quarrels and quabbles with uh, the wives of former head of uh, defensive coordinators, and some more uh, hot OU quarterback takes. Where can they do so? You can uh, follow me at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. And then you go read our work over at Sooners Water. We've done a real we, – we crushed it. I believe we wrote 42 stories on the NFL draft. Um, we're pushing out all sorts of content still um, coming from it. You know, uh, I, I think, you know, moving forward with the website, it's going to be very interesting over the next couple months, and we're going to be very innovative and very creative. So, uh, you know, come, come along, uh, the fun, it's going to be a lot of fun, but yeah, no, definitely. I, uh, I hope I don't piss off the masses anymore. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. You know, uh, the last time I happened to do that, you're talking about quarterback takes real quick before we sign off. People forget that I put Spencer Rattler above Jalen Hurts in my quarterback rankings for guys on campus you're last a, year. You're a, you're a Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler fan. I, man, I think he's going to be good. You're, you're, you have been driving, you have been pulling that bus for quite some, like chains to the front axle pulling that bus for more than a year now uh, on this show included. So uh, I'm excited to see him in whatever season we actually have this, this, I say fall, this coming sports year. Um, I think it's going to be fun to watch. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. It's always fun. Podcast Network.